0: Choir. Wow. Bringing the heat this morning. Appreciate you guys. Incredible. Good to see you all up here. Good to see the rafters full again of choir. We have one more set of rafters, just in case you, you didn't know this. We're looking for a few more, a few more singers. There's a reason I purposefully sit up that, down there during service and not up here. But if you would like to sit up here, if you'd like to sing with them, man, be a part of that. What a blessing this choir is to this church. Thank you all so much for that. Well, good morning to everybody my name is thomas great to be with you guys this morning thanks for joining us today if it's your first time here or first time in a long time you're our honored guest we're so honored by your presence so glad that you joined us for a few minutes this morning uh, this church exists to do a couple of things and those things are written right above this stage we want to love god we want to love others and it's our hope and prayer that as we do those two things other people will come to experience and know the love of god uh, themselves so everything we do from collecting the coats and jackets this month Uh, Month of November for our donate one to collecting money every week in our give one campaign Everything we do from our services to our prayers to the mission opportunities It's all designed to live out those words and those critical commands A quick update on a couple of things I know you guys like to hear how we spend some of that power of one money So every week we ask you to put a dollar in the bin on the way out The staff then takes that money Monday morning and gives it to a family in need Uh, Three weeks ago. We helped a woman whose husband recently walked out on her and her two kids We wanted to help her wanted to bless her Uh, help her to keep her head above the water. Uh, Last week, we gave the money to an older family who moved out here about nine months ago, but they've just struggled finding work. We wanted to help them pay rent uh, this month. And just last week, we are introduced to a lady who's really fallen on a hard time, struggling to make ends meet, needing to get back to Florida, so we're probably gonna end up helping her as well. But every dollar you give, church, it's truly used to love others. So well done. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Uh, when it comes to loving God, we spend a lot of time planning our services. Our first service this morning, man, you missed quite the show. Uh, traditionally, it's a more traditional service, more hymn-based. It's at the 8.30 hour if hymns are your thing. But man, they were rocking those hymns out this morning in a way I hadn't heard in a long time. I kid you not, there was a rap and a hymn together. You missed it. You can't, you can't recreate that either, but it was incredible. Uh, well done. Uh, My prayer is that the sermons uh, will help you to love God even more as well. Let me give you an update on some sermon things. I want to tell you what's coming up the next few months. If you can believe it, in just a few weeks, we enter into the Christmas season. Uh, Cue the Christmas music, John, right? But we're entering into a neat season here. But in the month of December, we're going to do a four-part series called He Shall Be Called. Uh, We'll be looking at a passage in Isaiah 9-6, one of the most famous Old Testament passages that speak to the birth of Christ and the names of Christ. And I wanna encourage you to bring somebody with you in the month of December, because those names of Christ have this unique way of filling our hearts with hope and filling our hearts with joy and filling our hearts with assurance. So bring somebody the next couple of weeks to hear about Jesus and his birth. From there, we're gonna spend some time in Daniel at the beginning of the year, figuring out what it means to be a believer in an unbelieving world. We're gonna look at how at the beginning of a new year, we can have a renewed faith and a renewed fervor for God, even in a culture that doesn't really believe in God. Super excited about the series after that called Limitless, where we're gonna study the Holy Spirit for a while. And then from there, we're gonna jump into a series called Hot Topics, where we're gonna spend some time talking about the, the issues that are really pervasive in our culture today issues that we all want to talk about and need some gospel understanding of, like sexuality, money, marriage, violence, Islam, everything in between. So lots of things coming up. Super excited about all that. But before we can get there, we've got to finish what we're doing. We've got to finish our current series entitled The Story. Uh, In this series, we're utilizing this resource right here that takes all of the Bible and puts it in chronological order for us. This is all scripture right here, but we're learning how every character in the scripture and every plot in the scripture connects together to tell this large, grand, incredible story of love and loss and ultimately a story of eternal life. There's no story like it. And this story, God's story, makes sense of our story. It makes sense of what's going on and why and what our role and part is is in all these things so this morning we're in chapter 30 we are so close to the end this is a chapter that contains the end of the book of acts as well as some excerpts from the books of ephesians and the book of second timothy so let me pray for us that god would be with us in the next few minutes as we study his word father we ask that you will speak to us now we believe that you are alive and well and that you are still writing this story you are still breathing this story into existence Um, And so we ask that you would open our eyes and our minds right now to to what's going on in this story, what it means for us, how it should change us, Father. Uh, Help us to lose ourselves and find ourselves in this story this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I've shared this with you before. One of my favorite shows of all time, though, is Lost. Anybody else just in love with that crazy island? God, I just love that show. I love everything about it. I mean, the plot twist, the music, but, but oddly enough, one of the things I love most about that show was the first 15 seconds of it. So every week, it started off like this, previously on Lost. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit better than that, but then it'd be like 10 or 15 seconds of this review and this summary of what happened the last couple of weeks. Well, to truly appreciate what's happening here in chapter 30 of our story, we need to do something similar. So, previously in the story. (laughs) A few weeks ago, Jesus walks out of the grave alive and better than ever. We call this the resurrection, and it proves several things to us. It proves Jesus can be trusted. It proves there is life after this life, and it proves that God has overcome every obstacle and every fear we've ever encountered. Well, after this miraculous moment, this moment that all of history is based off of, Jesus spends the next 40 days teaching his disciples how to proclaim this new reality, how to live out this new hope. At this point in the story, God gives his people a superpower. It's called the Holy Spirit. And it's through that spirit that they're going to carry out their new mission, their new ministry. And after that, we then read about some of the most courageous men and women we've ever come across. Some of the most courageous Christians to have ever lived. Peter, Stephen, Barnabas. Last couple of weeks, we've looked at men and women who absolutely love God's love and love sharing it with other people. And last week, Nathan did a masterful job of introducing us to the man, kind of became the ringleader of this new following of Jesus, a man by the name of Paul. Paul's so important to us because Paul started a ton of different churches throughout the Mediterranean region. These churches are most likely house churches, so they're filled with 50 to 100 people that met every week in people's living rooms. But they are truly the foundation for the church as we know it today. Well, Paul didn't want to just start churches. He wanted to strengthen the churches as well. But how do you strengthen what could have been over 100 house churches that are spread out all over the state, all over the country, for that matter? Well, something called letters. Letters are an ancient form of communication where you handwrite words on a piece of paper, you, you place that paper into something called an envelope. Then you place the entire package in the mail and several days, maybe even weeks later, the recipient gets your package and hears your words. Teens, I know, that is crazy. <laughs> how archaic can you get? That's how they used to do it. So anyway, Paul writes all these letters to all the different churches and he reminds them of old things. He teaches them new things and he tries to help them figure out how to do this whole Christian thing. Thirteen letters in total, nine written directly to churches in different cities, four written to certain individuals in those churches. We call those letters the epistles, and they make up most of the New Testament. But like the churches that are around today, each church that Paul wrote to was very unique. Each one had its own context, its own set of struggles, from outside temptations to inside tensions. Each church struggled with different things, so each church needed to be taught and reminded of different things and I toyed around all week with writing first and second West Bolians. First of all, it just didn't sound right, but but I was imagining what Paul might say to us today, and I thought, we don't need to imagine what he would say to us in a new letter, let's just look back at his old letters. Because see, in chapter 30, as he's coming to the end of his life and the end of these letters, we want to sit with Paul and say, what's most important, Paul? Out of all those letters you wrote, out of all the churches you started and ministered to, what is most important to you, because what's most important to them will also be most important to us. So for me, Paul's letters boil down to a few key words. I've chosen four to look at this morning. Identity, centrality, maturity, and adversity. Let's walk through each one. Identity first. Identity is a person's conception of themselves. It's an expression of who they are at their core. Right? Your identity is what makes you you, It what makes you tick. Your identity is how you define yourself, how you describe yourself. And there are lots of ways to do this. Right? There are lots of ways to shape and form and communicate your identity. You might base your identity off of your political beliefs or your socioeconomic level. You might base it off your race, your educational status, your job title that identity would sound something like this. Thomas is a handsome, funny, skinny, white, balding, upper middle class, independent, semi-athletic, handsome father and pastor who hits a golf ball straight 75% of the time. (laughs) That's who I am. That's my identity. Or is it? Many of us have taken personality tests, haven't we, over the years, assessments over the years? And in those tests, we learned that we're a lion, a beaver, an ENFP, an activator, a competitor, a high I, and a low D. That's who I am, that's my identity, or is it? According to some, your identity is nothing more than your social security number, your driver's license number, your credit card number. That sounds silly, but having that identity stolen is anything but. See, those numbers are who I am, that's my identity. Or is it? Because according to Paul, once you become a Christian, you're no longer defined by any of those things. Once you become a Christian, your identity is no longer determined by what you look like, what you do, who you work with, or who you vote for. As a Christian, the center of your identity is the cross. At the center of your identity is the cross. At the core of who you are, the core of what defines you, it all revolves around Jesus See, in his letter, Paul encourages the new believers and all the churches to be in Christ 160 times. If I tell my daughter something more than once, I expect them to listen. If I tell them something 160 times, it feels like that sometimes when it comes to eating dinner, like, eat your dinner already. But 160 times, there is something going on here. It's clear that Paul wanted us to be clear on this. It's in Christ. We find our true identity. Look at how the Apostle John says it in chapter one. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want Jesus, whoever believed he was who he claimed and could do what he said, he made them to be their true selves, their child of God selves. In Christ, you finally figure out who you are. In Christ, you fully figure out who you are. Don't ask Meyer Briggs. Don't ask DISC. Don't ask the guidance counselor. Ask Jesus. He made you. He formed you together. He's holding you together. Ask him what makes you, you. See, Paul knew this, and so he talked about it all the time. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece He's created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. Paul is saying you are a fresh, unique, purposefully created masterpiece that God is going to use to do incredible things. That's your identity. Galatians 3.26, in Christ you are children of God through faith. Paul says, You are the adopted sons and daughters of God Himself. You are his beloved child, the object of his affection. That's your identity. Romans 8:17. Since we are children, we are also heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. See, you are heirs of the kingdom, recipients of an eternal inheritance, the bounty, the blessings of heaven. They are yours now. One day you and I will rule and reign with Christ on the earth. That's your identity. That's who you are in Christ. That's what makes you, you. Henry Nouwen says it this way, your identity is no longer found in what you have. It's found in Christ. Your identity is no longer found in what you do. It's found in Christ. Your identity is no longer found in what others say about you. It's found in Christ. I want to make sure that you're getting this because this is super important. When I truly believe when I truly come to terms with the fact that I am the beloved son of God, when I truly believe and come to terms with the fact that I have been adopted out of the orphanage called the world and I've been placed in God's household, when I truly believe and embrace that I have a new name, a new hope, a new purpose, when I believe that I am an heir to the throne, brothers with Jesus, when those things become my primary identity, when those things become the basis of my life, my life is drastically different, is it not? When those are my identity, nothing is the same. And when I describe myself using those terms, sounds so much better than skinny, white, balding, independent golfer. Yeah, big deal. I'm a beloved son, a co-heir of Christ. An adopted son, a prince. I mean, all of these wonderful things in Christ. It changes everything. When your identity is in Christ, it changes who you are. That's why Paul talked about it all the time. This new identity and something else that Paul talked about all the time was the gospel of grace. That brings us to our second word, centrality. There was an advertisement on the side of a plumber's van that read like this, no place too deep, no place too dark, no place too dirty that we can't fix. That's a great way to describe a good plumber, isn't it? That's an even better way to describe our great God. That's a great way to describe and explain the gospel of grace. Let that word just sink in just for a second, grace. It's an incredible word, isn't it? It's an amazing word. It's one of the most misunderstood and probably underutilized words, though, in all of Christianity. Yet it's what Christianity is all about. And I have to admit that that I'm one of the guys that that I don't talk about this word nearly enough. I don't understand it or spend much time on it nearly enough, I need to. This is what we are about, Christians. See, if a judge forces you to pay your speeding ticket, that's justice. You got what you deserve. If he lets you walk free, well, that's mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. But if he tears up your ticket and hands you a huge wad of cash and says, Get out of here, you crazy kid. Now that's that's grace. See, it's something good that you didn't deserve. But God's grace goes even further than that. See, God's grace is absolutely mind-blowing. Think about this with me for a second. With God's grace, the judge himself, this perfect, holy, righteous creator who oversees and rules the entire universe, he says to people, you and I, people that not only broke the speed limit, we broke every law for that matter, but he says to us, not only will I let you go, but I will consider you righteous and perfect now and forever, don't ever worry about being accused or condemned again. I will always defend you. I will always come to your rescue. And while I'm at it, here are the keys to my car, the gate code to my house, the rope on my back, the hand of my daughter in marriage, my pension plan. Shoot, what else do I have? It's yours. See, now we're starting to get at God's grace. You went in because you deserved a punishment and you walked out as if it were a party. <laughs> what just happened? Grace. Grace just happened. That's why we call it amazing. Grace, grace, amazing grace. It's the beginning. It's the middle. It's the end of everything. And that's why Paul talked about it all the time. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that all, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty he might make you rich. Ephesians 2, 8, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is nothing that you did. It's a gift of God. 2 Timothy 2.9 is some of the last words ever recorded by Paul. He has saved us, called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. This grace was given to us in Christ before the beginning of time. Now it's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, the, the grace is what motivated everything Paul did. Grace was central everything he said it wasn't just this doctrine it wasn't just this idea it was a reality see paul was this arrogant egotistical mean-spirited murdering hypocrite and he became god's favorite he became god's greatest tool and some of those words could describe us right hopefully not murdering hypocrite but words that describe us probably wouldn't be much better if we're honest You could laundry list all of what we were, but in grace, because of grace, through grace, we are now God's favorite, God's chosen, God's masterpiece, Paul says in Ephesians. We've gone from worst to first, from burden to beloved, from foe to God's closest friend. It's grace. It's grace. I I was thinking about this just last night, looking over this message. It's absurd that we can call ourselves children of God. That's just an absurd reality, don't you think? That is crazy. We paid nothing for his love. We paid nothing for his son. We paid nothing for his spirit. We paid nothing for the church. We paid nothing for eternal security, and yet that's what we walk out of the party with. We couldn't pay for any of it because we were bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. We owed God, and yet here we walk out with all of these blessings. You with me? That's grace, church. That's what we've received. Reminds me of the time we're eating at this little mom and pop restaurant out in Nashville called The Loveless. This is a little piece of heaven on earth. we prayed for that before. It's come. It's right there. Homemade biscuits and homemade jelly? Come on. It's like a spiritual experience. Well, our meal came. The waitress puts this huge bowl of grits down next to me. Oh, no, 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 I say. "I I didn't order that. Honey, waitress said. Around here, you don't order grits, you just get grits. (laughs) See, that's how it is with God's grace. You don't order it, you don't work for it, you don't deserve it, you don't pay for it. You just get it. You just get it, because he's so good, because he's so in love with you, you just get it. He's given us far more than grits though, hasn't he? He's given us far more than grits. And that bowl of grace that we were just given, man, that should change everything. And that brings us to our third key word, maturity. Have you ever been mistaken for somebody else? I'd love to tell you that I am constantly confused for Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's not happening. The only person I've ever been mistaken for is this guy right here. <laughs> but not My dad. All right, how many of you saw the show Breaking Bad when it was out? A few of you admitting to that, okay. The main character in that show, which was filmed in my hometown of Albuquerque, by the way, woo woo, little shout out for Albuquerque. Although the show's about meth addicts, so I'm not sure we should be all that excited about it. But a better shout out for Albuquerque. Last night, Holly Holm, high school friend of mine, literally kicked the champion of MMA to the ground and won. Woo, we rock! Anyway, sorry, okay. Albuquerque's rising up, y'all better watch out. Anyway, back, back to Breaking Bad. The main character in Breaking Bad is a man named Walter White. Here's a picture of Walter White. Well, here's a picture of my dad. See any similarities? Let me put them next to each other just so you can see here. He looks so much like this guy, he even scares me sometimes. But I, and I kid you not, people will stop my dad in the airport in Albuquerque and ask for his autograph because they honestly think he's Walter White. We're, we're so proud of him. We're so proud of him, <laughs> He's come so far. But see, being mistaken for someone else, especially someone famous, that, that's, a, that's pretty sweet. But here's a question for you. You ever been mistaken for Jesus? Has anyone ever looked at you and honestly thought you looked just like Christ? Now maybe not physically. But right, For some of us, I'm not going to mention any names, pulling off his hair and his beard would be incredibly difficult. But how about his character? How about his faith? How about his devotion? How about his love? Do you look so much like Jesus that when people see you, they honestly think they see him? Because according to Paul, that's the goal. That's the hope. That's the point. He says this all the time. Colossians 1.28. Jesus is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Ephesians 4.13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The full and complete standard of Christ. That's what God wants for you. See, according to Paul, you never grow out of your need to grow up in your faith. You never grow out of the need to grow up in your faith. Being a Christian means you are constantly striving to become more like Christ. The apostle Peter says it this way in one of his letters. He says, possess the qualities of Christ in increasing measure. In increasing measure. So that passion you had when you first came to Christ, let's see some more of that. That excitement you had, that one year where you read the Bible every day and prayed every night, let's see a little bit more of that. That devotion you had when you were just talking about Jesus and singing his praises everywhere you went, let's see a little bit more of that. In increasing measure, that's the hope. That's the goal for you. God wants your Christ-likeness to increase. Now I know it's hard. I know that the more holy you live, the less holy you tend to feel because the more unholy you realize you are. I know that the the more you grow in your faith, the more areas of growth you realize there are in your faith. I know that the harder you try, the more obstacles you encounter. I know it's hard, but you've got to keep trying to be more and more like Jesus. Paul constantly reminded the early church, yes, we're all a work in progress, I'll give you that, but we all better be making progress. We're all a work in progress, but we all need to be making progress. But wait, Thomas, you, you just said it's all about grace, man. I just walked out of the party with my hands full. You don't order it, you just get it, right? Remember that? Well, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. First Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Many of us can say that, all of us can say that. Grace is what kept me alive. Grace is what gave me my life. Grace is what made me who I am today. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than everybody else, Paul says. It wasn't I, it was the grace of God that was in me, but I worked harder than everybody else Yes, we're saved by grace, but grace should change everything that we do. It should affect us. Grace should literally leak into all the areas of our life, and we should be able to see it. See, grace gives us the reason for life change. It gives us the hope of life change. It gives us the motivation for life change. Through grace, God wants you to live more like God. Through grace, God wants you to live more like the gospel, gospel gospel-esque lives. And we're going to do a series on this at some point. I just laid out half a year of series, but let's do another one after that just called the leaky gospel where is the gospel leaking into your faith see because the gospel should drastically change everything like your sex life it should totally change that the gospel should leak into that it should totally change the way you spend your money the gospel should leak into that totally change the way you interact with your coworkers and classmates and your neighbors it should leak into that it should totally affect that but you see that's something you have to work at something you have to work on and so Paul constantly told the churches, keep growing, keep striving, keep trying to look more and more like Jesus. He used analogies of runners and boxers and, shoulder, and soldiers to describe this commitment, this dedication that it takes to look like Jesus. He talked about taking every thought captive. He talked about beating his body into gospel submission. Do those words describe you and your faith? Is that how you would describe your devotion to the Lord? Did it describe us as a church? I mean, honestly, look at your faith five years ago, five months ago. Is it any different today? Do people run into you and be like, man, you are so much more joyful today than I remember you being a few years ago. Man, you got so much more peace than I remember you having. What's what's different? Man, I remember so much more self-control than you once had. Like, I remember you used to have three donuts after first service before second service. Now you just have two and a half. Like, wow, wow. Well, I'm trying. I mean, more and more like Jesus, right? You never grow out of the need to grow up. So where are you right now in your faith? Where's a level of your faith, a part of your faith that's not increasing in measure, that's somewhat immature? Paul would encourage you to keep going. Keep training and devoting yourself and committing yourself to living and looking a lot more like Jesus. When it comes to maturity though, it typically happens through the last word on our list this morning, adversity. We've all had a trip or two in this life where things didn't work out as we planned, right? It was a trip just across town, trip across the country, even a trip across the globe, but chances are that your best laid plans didn't work out exactly as you planned. And that happens in trips, but it also happens in life, doesn't it? Life never turns out exactly like you expected it to. How many of you changed majors in college? few of you. How many of you have changed careers in the course of your life? Looks like the exact same people. Wow, you guys, <laughs> you guys have trouble with commitment. We gotta work on, work on this. But think about it, how many of you are in the town or the situation or the job or the house or the relationship that you saw yourself in 30 years ago or that you thought you would be in 30 years from now, right? How many of us are in that? No, life throws us curveballs. It's full of detours and roadblocks, twists and turns. That's kind of a nice way of saying it, isn't it? Life is full of headache. Life is full of heartache. And Paul understood this maybe better than anybody else in the entire Bible. A certain man had been slipping in and out of a coma for several months. His wife stayed by his bedside every single day. One day when he came to, he motioned for her to come closer. As she sat by him, he whispered, eyes full of tears, honey, you've been with me through all the bad times. When I got fired, you were there. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot, you were there. When we lost the house, you were there. When my health started failing, you were still right there. You know what, honey? What, dear? She gently asked, smiling as her heart began to fill with warmth. You're bad luck. (laughs) And I think the people who hung around Paul could probably say, or they at least were thinking the very same thing as he's getting more and more excited about Jesus, as he's increasing in his qualities and characteristics of Christ, he ends up getting thrown in jail. Paul is put in house arrest for two years. He's a troublemaker, a menace to society. And after two years, he's finally put on a ship with 275 other uh, inmates, other prisoners, so that his case can go be heard by the, by the uh, Roman, uh, not the Roman, Roman Caesar, Nero himself. He's going to go stand trial before the Supreme Court of the day. He's caused so many problems with this message of Jesus that he's going to stand before the Supreme Court. But his trip over there was anything but smooth sailing. As soon as they leave, the ship gets caught in a two-week storm with hurricane force winds. His ship crashes on the rocks. Paul is forced to jump overboard and swim to safety. He finds himself on an island, but this island is dark and damp. The sun is not shining on the island, so he gathers wood to build a fire for him and all the other people. Well, as he's gathering the fire, a snake bites him. He almost dies because of the snake bite. Well, God spares his life from that, but for three months he's got to stay on this island. He finally makes his way to Rome. It should have taken 10 days. It's taken almost four months. And as soon as he lands there, two more years in house arrest where he can barely go to the bathroom without asking for permission. How many of you remember reading the book Alexander, the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? You know that book? Yes. Well, this is it, except this is called Paul and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Half Year. But that wasn't all the adversity that he faced. He was flogged like Jesus on multiple occasions, nearly stoned to death twice. He was rejected and despised by friends and family. Besides, Jesus himself Paul experienced more heartache than anyone we read in the entire New Testament. And yet we also read him saying things like this: Romans 8:28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. 2 Corinthians 4:17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of that. 2 Corinthians 12:10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in all that junk. I delight in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that the problems in this life always serve a purpose in this life. The purpose might not be clear to you at this present moment, but God never wastes a moment. That's what the choir song was all about. Every moment, God is doing something. The very thing you fear the most might be exactly what you need to strengthen your face. Your face and your faith. If your face needs to be strengthened, there's some great doctors in the Denver area that can... But if your faith needs to be strengthened, it's something about adversity and understanding why you're going through it. The very thing you don't want to go through might be exactly the thing you need to go through. See, Paul says again and again and again that adversity and trial and hardship, well, Christians embrace those things. Christians accept those things. Why? Because our God is good and he works out all things for good. That's who our God is. So come on, throw me overboard. Send me on an island for three months. Bite me by a snake, however you say that. Adversity, it's God's unique opportunity to do something in me and something through me. Why? Because God can work out all things. for his good. All things, all things, a shipwreck, all things, a flogging, all things, abandonment by your family and friends, all things like my mistakes, my sin, my cancer, my divorce, my sadness, my loneliness, my death, all things. Yeah, last time I checked, all things included all those things. All things. He works out all things. That's why Christians look at adversity and trial and hardship through a completely different lens. What you gonna do to me? What you gonna do to me that God can't work out for good? Absolutely nothing. Mm. Even though the road of this life is full of twists and turns, heartache and headache, as Christians, we know where the road ends, don't we? We know where we're headed on this journey. And that brings us to the fifth word that Paul uh, brings up again and again. I know I said there's only four, but here's a fifth one. And the fifth one is eternity. But to do this word justice, you gotta come back next week. Because we got to spend a whole day just talking about this. Because you see, next week we come to chapter 31 of the story, which is called the end of the story. Oh, it's anything but the end of the story. There is so much yet to come. So please come back. So identity, centrality, maturity, and adversity. Uh, What I want you to do this week is just spend some time thinking about and praying over those four words. I want you to ask God, to reveal to you where and how those words need to take shape in your life. Some of you ask me for more practical advice on like what to do as soon as you walk out those doors. I don't know. <laughs> ask Jesus what you should do, because I don't know your situation. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I think I gotta go do as soon as I walk out those doors, but I don't know what you gotta do. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know what's on your mind. I don't know what situation you find yourself in right now, but guess who does? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus does. So why don't you ask him? Jesus, where is my identity? Truly, how do I define myself? How do I describe myself? Is it in Christ? Jesus, what is central to my life? What's most important to me in my life? Is it grace? Jesus, am I maturing? Am I looking more like you? Am I being mistaken for you? Jesus, do people see you when they see me? And Jesus, what about the adversity in my life? How am I handling it? Am I whining? Am I moaning? Am I complaining? Or am I saying, come on. You work out all things for good, even this. Ask Jesus this week to drill those four words into your head and into your heart. I think you'll have a few takeaways if you spend some time asking him what to do. Let me pray right now. That would happen. Father, Paul was an amazing, amazing man, and we are grateful for his life and his ministry, for his example and his words. We're thankful, so thankful for his letters, Father, In those letters, many of us have found a verse that has kept us alive. We have verses from Paul that are all over this church and all over our homes, God. He wrote some of the most eloquent things. He said some of the most powerful things. And We pray those things go from mere words on a page or on a poster to life-changing realities and truths. God, we pray that our identity is in Christ, that when we describe ourselves, it's all about Jesus. It's all about being his brother, your son, co heir, your masterpiece, your beloved. That's who we are. Forget all the other stuff. We pray, Lord, when it comes to the centrality of our life, that the only thing that matters to us is grace. We pray that grace literally leaks into all the other areas of our life. So that th- those that don't deserve it, those who don't earn it, uh, it's, it's not about that anymore, God. Everything from sex to uh, money to how we sit to spend time with other people, Lord, help it to all be shaped by grace. Amazing grace. Let we pray for our maturity. We don't want to look the same way that we looked yesterday or 10 days ago or thousands of days ago. We want to be different. We want to be more like Jesus. God, as we experienced this week, those who are opposed to Jesus, they're stepping up their game. They are adamant about their message and their mission. Lord, would we be adamant about our message? and our mission just as much. Would we mature and be like Jesus, showing this world a supernatural love? And God, would you help us to face adversity like Paul did and like Jesus did with great joy because we know that you are doing something in everything and you will work out all things for our good. Help us to have these four words mark us as believers. This week we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for this morning, for being here. Hope you have an absolutely amazing day. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. Be strong and courageous. Have an amazing week.